Welcome to the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by Brain Fuel. Brain Fuel is a cerebral beverage that helps you find your flow state, enhance mental focus, and cognitive endurance. Elevate the brain and the body. To get yours, visit brainfuel.com, B-R-E-I-N, fuel.com, and enter the code LIFO15 at checkout for your 15% off discount, L-I-F-O-1-5, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, here with Rachel Krasnow um, from Next Up Partners, and we're going to talk a little bit about sales. Uh, everyone loves to talk about sales, and I know there's plenty of information out there um, all over social media and different trainers and this and that, but I think when you get down to it, just talking about sales, the different mindsets, approaches, cultures, people, um, you know, location, sports, I think we'll dive into just some of the different aspects behind the scenes that when you're looking at different positions or you're trying to think about whether you want to get into sales or not, what do you really need to truly think about? Um, let's put the logos aside of, of the organizations you work for and do you actually like sales? So Rachel, welcome. Thank you for having me. Super excited to be here today. Absolutely. Um, sales, I mean, I wish there was like an acronym that went along with sales, but let's just jump right into it. So your mindset when selling. Um, you've been at multiple places, PGA Tour, uh, Fenway Sports Management, AEG, um, the list goes on, but the mindset you have to have when you're selling. Yeah, um, it's a good one, you know, and right off the bat, you kind of need to be a energetic people person, like, you know, that type A type personality, because it's for all the glamour that people think is a good part about sales. And there's a lot of it. There's the back end aspect of it, which is there's a lot of work in there where you're getting a ton of no's, a ton of people saying, no, thank you. Get out of my way. Like, stop talking to me. And so you got to be persistent and really, you know, don't take no for an answer and just kind of keep going um, and move forward from there. So I think from a mindset perspective, it's just really being gung-ho about that part of it and then being a people person, you know, having those relationships and building them. And I've really focused my career on the sponsorship side of sales. So working across, not just kind of the ticket sales, which can be a bit more transactional, not always, but a lot of the time um, it's far more, you know, larger partnership deals across the various sports that I've worked across. So when you're working on those, it is building a relationship, understanding that company. And I think that, you know, really being a person who can get in and understand that and work with them and build those relationships helps in terms of when you're actually closing the deal and selling. There's an approach to it as well in terms of whether it's, you know, you mentioned ticket sales being a little bit more transactional. There's a kind of a patience factor, right? The patient seesaw of like, okay, is this deal getting done? Is it not getting done? Um, you know, I love the saying of like, it's much better to have a no than a maybe, right? Like, let's just move on. I yeah. love the, you know, the dating analogy, right? In a sense. It's always funny, you know, one of the things I think, especially early on in sales is that understanding when a deal should be closed and kind of push it to the side, because to your point, a no is so much better. Like if you have a deal that's been dragging on for months and months and months, like there's a good chance that that's probably not happening and you're wasting your time on it versus just getting a no and being able to focus on new opportunities. And early in your career, a lot of the times in sales, you tend to hold on to those because you don't have a lot going on or there might not be a ton of opportunities in your pipeline at the moment. So one of the biggest challenges is really focusing on building that pipeline and having lots of different opportunities. So you're not just holding on to the ones that might be dragging on and you'd rather just cut them and be like, you know what? No, those ones are, those are done. <laughs> it's tough. It's, it's hard to learn that. 
Yeah, I mean, some, like you want to have your pipeline as full as possible, but you also like need to be realistic about what is in your pipeline. Is right. it a bunch, you know, is it a bunch of crap leads or are you actually having like fruitful conversations that might go somewhere or if they don't go anywhere, can they lead you to something else? Right. I went to once, I went to, it was, it was at, when I was at AEG, I really wanted to just kind of bump up what I was doing on the sales side. So I took an outside course and it was called, it was a Sandler training course. And I highly recommend that for anyone who's looking to get into sales in general. And it was broad across the board, any type of sales. It didn't specify sports. It was really just everything. And one of the things that really stuck with me from that training course outside of like, I got a ton of great information from them and it got me rejuvenated, excited to go back to work, but they had a sheet and it was kind of like a laid out of a person who has their pipeline and, you know, how long they've been working on something where, how close they are to closing. And it had nothing to do with sports or anything that I did, but it, it's all the same thing, no matter where you are. Like the pipeline showed a bunch of deals that have been sitting there for months at a time and the person just hadn't closed them out. So it looked like there was a lot on there, but when you actually went through line by line, there wasn't very much that was like actual valuable partnership sales that you think would close. And, and there's a lot of people around you in a partnership world or even a premium world or, or even the ticket sales world that are helping you now with the data, the analytics, the intelligence of trying to even, you know, provide insights on, you know, hey, there's this percentage, right? This is kind of where you're projecting and that sort of thing. Well, if you're not keeping on the back end your information up to date, like the insights are crap at that point, right? Totally. Yeah. And, it's not and fair. It's not fair. And there's so, to your point, there's so many great people who can help out. Like a lot of times I have, there's people who can save time by doing the research on, you know, I can provide them a list of companies that I want to look into. And it's like, they give me a list of all the right people in the organization who I should be reaching out to. Like that legwork is all done for you. And then it's the matter of taking that time to reach out to them. And, you know, another stat that I've seen, which is, you know, typically most salespeople will reach out anywhere from one to three times to a person to really get results. I think it's like eight to 10 times of outreach for a person who you're sending an email, they're not responding, sending an email, no response. That's often when you actually end up getting the response. Um, and so I think a lot of the times you have that help and it's really, but working hard on your side to be able to make it successful. And also understanding how to utilize the people around you too, right? Like everyone sells differently. Let's acknowledge that. Right. Um, and, and we'll, we'll get into kind of, you know, culture and, and regionally speaking, how that may differ, mm-hmm. but in terms of utilizing the people around you to make you as successful as you possibly can be, right? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you're measured by that number mm-hmm. uh, that's yeah. sitting over your head, right? Each day. Right. Um, how do you go about making sure that you maximize those people around you, whether it's even just one person or a team? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's one where I think, you know, it's taking advantage of it. There's only so much time in the day to do outreach. And I recognize that a lot of times that can be tedious and time consuming and difficult. But if you take advantage of the people on your team to help build those lists so that when you do have the free time, you're sending that new outreach to people that they've built the list. Or if you use your data and analytics team, a lot of times I like sending intro emails or even when I'm talking to clients about here's how our, you know, when I was with the Red Sox, here's how the Red Sox are fans are your company's fans, the people who are buying your products. And here's the stats to show it. You can do that in a presentation, but sometimes sending that out in an intro email is like, our fans are your customers. Here you go. 
that's a way to utilize the people who are on your team in a really effective way and take that research and analytics and use it to something that you know, is in your favor when you're doing any sort of kind of initial outreach and even building further down the line partnerships and deals, you know, the presentations, you're constantly working with the teams internally to build those out and make them successful. Let's talk a little bit about culture and teams because that can, mm -hmm. um, that can A, either set you up for success or set you up for failure based on where you're walking in and what your skill sets are. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about some of your experiences and what you've learned about how culture ultimately affects your abilities to either A, succeed, fail, learn, mm -hmm. uh, and also kind of uh, craft your way as well. Sure. You know, I think it's a really interesting part about finding a sales organization where you can be successful. Um, and it really does range and you don't necessarily fit into every sort of sales organization, depending on your style, your personality, kind of how you work, you know? So I, starting out when I was at the PGA tour, most of those partnerships I was working on were business development, larger partnerships across tour, you know, title sponsors, official marketing partners. So the strategy that we had behind how we did partnership sales was very focused on the company, what their brand goals and objectives are really building out a partnership that applies to them. And it was customized, you know, moving to AEG afterwards, definitely had that same mindset, but it was much more of a sales first organization where it was a quick, a little bit more transactional overall. You could be super creative with some of the partnerships. So I don't want to say that on their behalf, but it was a lot more of a go, go, go type organization. And some people thrive in that environment and it's fantastic. You can do unbelievably good job, but it was, you know, there can be challenges with that too, especially I, for me, I struggled just coming from an organization that was a different pace, different mindset, everything. Um, FSM has been a, was a more kind of middle ground uh, in the sense that it was a bit more of that sales environment, definitely successful on that front, but more of a balanced um, approach in terms of how they customize things a little bit more went on that front. So it's been a really interesting standpoint going from organization to organization where, you know, there are some where people walk in or like, tell me your top five companies right now. I need to know, you know, and you better be on top of your game and know exactly what companies you've got going and you better get those closed in the next few months or else, you know, the, it, sales can be cutthroat. Um, and sometimes it's a little bit more casual than that. It, it varies by organization. And, mm -hmm. and regional and regionally speaking too, like the, the, the difference in whether, you know, a, we can talk about local sales versus regional sales versus national sales. Yep. Three entirely different things. Totally. Yeah. And it's a different approach uh, too. So, you know, regionally, I think that there are definitely differences in terms of how styles of personality, this, you know, across the board, it, the South can be a bit more laid back and passive when it comes to stuff. The, you know, East Coast is obviously boom, 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 blunt as can be, you know, that's been my personality type, that's standard. So it definitely varies from that standpoint. Um, but then it also it is regionally, you know, if you're going after a local business that say when I was in Los Angeles, like only in Los Angeles, that's going to be very different than a company that's looking to build globally, say when I was with, you know, FSM looking at Liverpool, they're going to have a different mindset in terms of how they're going to approach sales and sponsorships. You have you know, on the, on the local sale, it let's, it's a, might be a smaller investment, but for them, that's their major marketing budget for the year. Um, so there's going to be a different approach, even in terms of how you look at that sale and, and go into it in terms of how you're talking to them, how you're building those relationships, everything, 
you know, they're going to be a lot less seasoned than somebody who might be with a big organization like a Bud, you know, Anheuser Busch that has been through it, knows how to knows what they're looking for in every market. Yeah, the educational factor for some is going to be a lot different than others, right? You're you're either going into a PhD class where you know, the, the, the partner that you're potentially dealing with uh, is very, very, you know, sophisticated and you've got to come ready with A, B, and C. Um, other times there might be the partner that uh, you're still an undergrad and you're kind of teaching the fundamentals of like, here's how sp sports sponsorship works. And in all seriousness, that might be that you might close that deal, but that might be the first deal that that company's ever done in sports sponsorship. Okay, well, how does it work, right? How do you, what does success look like? There's all those different components that you're going to have to now be a teacher, right? An educator in that sense um, as well, well. And that's where it's really interesting, I think, because you get some of those clients and it varies, you know, the ones that are going to be far more educated when you're going into it, that do tons of partnerships, know exactly what the return on investment looks like from their deal. And they know if we have X amount of clicks and this many people looking at this, we're going to be happy with how that turned out. Those smaller ones might not know that. And so you could, you know, if you're a salesperson who goes and great, you get a big deal where you get them to get a sign, but they have no idea what that sign, you know, actually does in terms of return investment. They don't promote it all on their own terms or anything. All of a sudden, they've invested a ton of money with you for something that they're going to hate. So that's going to be a quick one and done type partnership where they're going to be really unhappy when it comes out of it. So it's finding that balance where you understand and really have to pry from them, what are you trying to get out of this deal? What does that return on investment look like for you as an organization? And then here might be some big assets and hopefully I oversell you. So you're spending more money on them, you know, from a salesperson side, but at the same time, they're going to be assets that they then, you know, can hopefully be happy with and get that return that they were ultimately looking for, even if they didn't know what it was to begin with. And you kind of have to hold their hand through that process. Yeah. And we were talking a lot about process, like the communication styles too. Um, look, if you're, you know, uh, we, on, on the life in the front office, we partnered with sports digita and we're doing a really um, neat content, you know, theme series there in, in partnership with them. And like, they are the cutting edge of, of digital presentations and it is the coolest thing. It, it's just, it's so efficient and you've got analytics on the background and it, but sometimes like you just need a PDF. Mm -hmm. or, or a bullet point email, or okay. you, you have to know mm -hmm. how the person on the other end is, is wants to receive right. whatever they're receiving, um, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of proposal, et cetera. So how do you go about figuring out those communication styles? You might have a really young entrepreneur CEO that just wants to text, right? Yeah. Like, or, or, or Snapchat or whatever. It's, it, it happens, you know, and that's the fun part where it's like, that is building the relationships with them. Like, I think there's such a crucial part, you know, when you're going into a sales pitch, deal, conversation, anything, you never want to just like jump right into it. It's a, that little chit chat at the beginning can tell you so much about the person, what they care about, what their interests are. Like, that's the sort of stuff where I had an old boss who taught me, and I, I've done this ever since with everything with you know, just in terms of keeping notes on every conversation that you're in, I used to just keep notes on the, you know, the basics of what I was looking for, or the deal, what were the core points. But what I started doing over the years was not just that, it was taking notes on the things like, 
what their kids' names are, how often you know, they're going on a vacation to here, whatever it might be. So that when you're coming back and doing that next call, it's like, oh, how was your trip down to Mexico? Like, did you have a nice time? And all of a sudden you've built that relationship in a way, you're learning their style, you're learning the different parts about what makes them who they are. And it helps so much because you're talking to a lot of people when it comes to sales. So sometimes those things might not always be top of mind when you're trying to remember it afterwards. So it's, it's important to kind of work on. Well, it's that unique separator, right? Like if you're, it's one thing, you know, we've talked about on this podcast all the time of how do you separate yourself to get into the industry? Well, in a sales world, how do you separate yourself amongst from even the person sitting next to you that's trying to, you know, pitch a similar thing to a different company, right? And that company, to your point, is they know exactly what they want and they probably have 20 presentations in front of them. How do you stand out from the other properties? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough and you don't always succeed even if you can be the best salesperson. Like, you know, plenty of times it can go to somebody else because there's a stronger relationship there or they had a lower deal overall. So, you, you know, there's not much you can do about that if your value is at a higher price point. Like, that's going to inevitably happen sometimes, but it, you can avoid that a lot of times by finding out those details early on. And that's the trick of being a really successful salesperson. I mean, and there's different styles of how you do it. So for my old boss, who's a phenomenal salesperson, he was like the most boom, 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 like to the point, straightforward. He still built really strong relationships and probably closed more deals than anyone on the team with that style. And, you know, then there's others who like my approach tends to be a bit more conversational relationship, you know, building that side of it out, I think is, you know, and it's a differing of opinion. He oftentimes with those type of people wouldn't necessarily get a deal done, but he got the ones who were like, no bullshit. I want to get straight to the point. Those are the deals that he's closing. So you find those companies and those people that work with you. And sometimes if those relationships aren't there that you don't get the deal. Uh, And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that that's about finding that approach and being as versatile as possible so that hopefully you can get as many of them as you can, just even with difference in personalities and style. Well, and, and to that point, like even building out a sales team, right? Like understanding which person's going to get probably which type of deals done and which, yeah. you know, which categories or, or whatever. I know that's, you know, the nitty gritty details, but it's true. Like that's what you've got to think about. Um, well, you think about, I mean, even in the industries that I've been in, like if I'm a female versus a male on the team, there's going to be some industries that are probably better suited for me to go and talk to the people because I'll be dealing with say another woman on the other side or somebody who I might, if it's fashion related, like that's probably a category that I might be able to tackle more than, you know, the guy on my team who's colorblind. Like there's definitely an opportunity there that you can take advantage of or somebody, I, for example, I had a guy on my team who was a phenomenal, um, he had, his background and experience was in betting, sports betting, all that sort of stuff. So when we had those sports betting type deals, it made a lot of sense for him to be the one who built those relationships and continued those ones. So he had that category and really owned it. Whereas like I had working with the PGA Tour, a lot of background in wealth management and banks and financial institutions. So that was an area that I went after because I just really understood the industry a lot more. So it a lot of the times does help, you know, both your background and experience, but also kind of where you've been previously that allows you to be successful in certain industries versus other people. And it doesn't always work out that way, but it does make it easier so that as a team, you can pick people's strengths and weaknesses and be the most successful version. Sure. Well, and and even like, look, if there's a sales position that comes open on a certain team, Mm -hmm. you may be the best person, but not the right fit because you may not fit the team in the sense that the team needs X, right? But you're, but you're Z, 
Right. Um, and, and, you know, there's that specific need at that time of, hey, there's these deals that are coming up. There are these deals that we're trying to renew. Here's, you know, here's the thoughts, right? Yeah. And even more than that, like there might be, you know, you're totally swamped in work and you've got a ton of stuff going on and somebody else on the team has a little bit more freedom and, you know, opportunity. So they might be the one who's the better fit at that moment, just because it's like, oh, they've got some flexibility. They can dive into this hundred percent and really understand the values, what the companies are looking for and make it a successful partnership versus somebody who might be a better suited for the job, but wouldn't be able to give them the attention to detail that they really deserve or need. Sure. Small, small details, but the small oh. details are what are what make the wins happen. Um, oh, God, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you were talking about even having the experience on, you know, in some of the different industries, but mm -hmm. let's just talk about sports as we start to wrap up, because I think it's, it's maybe a little bit of a misconception of like, oh, you really have to have known about this sport mm -hmm. or you played this sport or whatever to, to be able to sell it. And it's like, no, you don't. Yeah. I, it's, it's something that always strikes me and people get so afraid of it, you know, going to a different sport or undervalue their own in any, not any role, I would say, not just within the sales side of things. It really applies to all within sports, but sports are so transferable. Like I went to the PJ tour knowing very little about golf, you know, really not, I, I went into it out of grad school thinking I'm going to go into the four major sports pro sports. Like that's what I want to do. And I worked for the dolphins before grad school. So I thought I would be in football. And I got to the tour and I'm fortunate that somebody recommended it to me, suggested you'd be great fit because of what they're doing on the sales side. And I ended up absolutely loving it there. I now play golf regularly, which you don't have to do to work. You don't have to play golf to work at the PGA Tour, as Jake can attest. Um, but then also, like, I really know and understand the sport a lot more and I can be super confident and passionate about presenting it. Same way LA Kings and LA Galaxy, you know, NHL, MLS, like I Premier League soccer with the Red Sox. I sold NASCAR with FSM as well. Like it, it's so I didn't know anything about NASCAR before jumping on the team. And it takes some time to, you know, do your homework, understand the sport, understand the people who like we had two guys on our team like how does the team work how does that dynamic but once you do it it's transferable no matter what sport you're in and I think that's actually one of the most fun things about switching from sport to sport because then you become more well-rounded in terms of really understanding how different sports work and you know get you can get just as invested in a sport even if you haven't played it growing up um, and that was you know, it's a big misconception that you, you can't go from sport to sport. In fact, most people at the top have worked at a lot of different sports uh, throughout their career. Well, that well-rounded um, mm -hmm. component's important because you never know who you're dealing with on the other side of the table. And, you know, maybe you're dealing with NASCAR, but they're a huge baseball fan and you knew a lot about baseball. So then you connected on that, right? Yeah. And then, yes, you get to the deal points of what you're talking about with the brands and, and the partnership <laughs> you're putting together, but like your relationship component is based off of something else that maybe you did, or maybe they were, maybe they grew up in Los Angeles, right? And you right. had that thing to talk about, whatever the case might be. Totally. And all of a sudden it's a touch point where even if I didn't, you know, even NASCAR is not my favorite sport, but I can still totally talk NASCAR now and I enjoy it. And it's a lot more fun to me now. And I can watch the races and understand who's winning, you know, what this, what's happening overall. So if I talk to somebody who's a diehard NASCAR fan, like I can now speak to that. Um, and that's to your point, like they could be totally, you know, involved with it completely. I had somebody who worked at, um, a, a candy company and he was a diehard NASCAR fan and it ended up steering a conversation that I thought was going to go for a completely different sport 
to our Rush Fenway property because it was like, wait a minute, like you're not interested in that. You're a diehard NASCAR fan. Like we have a NASCAR team. Let's make this happen. So you never know where it might lead. So it's kind of cool. You got you got to do the digging on the fact finding, right? Yeah. Like you know, and uh, really truly find out what people's passions are as well. Yeah, and and it can totally shift conversations. I mean, I've I've got into you know one of the benefits of working with multi-score properties is you go into it thinking, hey, like I'm going to pitch them this, you know, the Red Sox, and all of a sudden it shifts to something completely different, and you can swing and do that because you have these multiple properties. But it's also really fun because. It's like, well, I didn't think it was going to go that way, but this actually based on your brand objectives, like this sport is a lot more suitable for what you're looking for and you'll get a much better return on investment. So never yeah, know. And, and you're finding the multi, the multi-property approach to be more common, right? Even it's, more so yeah. now. Um, yeah. I just did a national sports forum actually presentation on that a few months back. Uh, we're talking about that exact point, which is this shift to these conglomerate type organizations is really where most teams because they recognize if you can take advantage of your venue for everything else and own what's happening in your venue you know not just the sports team but the concerts the events the everything that goes outside of it and then the teams around it in the surrounding area that's a nice way to be able to be the entertainment center for whatever city you're in and more companies are doing that uh, it's far more common yeah, it's truly amazing to see, you know, even just the monumentals of the world and um, you're able to even dip into different spaces too, right? The difference between audiences, right? From college to pro to, e, you know, to esports, right? Like yeah. the ability to cater to multiple audiences, I think is so unique and, and it's really interesting to see where that will go. Um, it's we got to wrap up. Capacity. We got to wrap up with some rapid fire. Yeah, go for it. Uh-huh. Are, you, are you ready? I'm I'm as ready as I can be, I guess. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, look, Boston, uh, you've got multiple venues there that are historic. Mm-hmm. Uh, which one is the favorite? Oh, Fenway Park. There's just, you know, I'm biased from working there, but there's nothing like that place. It's an iconic venue. I grew up scalp, you know, getting tickets at the door and running in and finding a seat directly behind a pole, but that's what makes it really fun. Uh, I love it there. So Fenway, there's nothing like Fenway Park. If you haven't been, go. <laughs> I, ha- I had to give you an easy one to start. <laughs> that is a good um, one. <laughs> you know, when you think when you think about sales, what's the what's the biggest misconception about sales? Um, biggest misconception is probably that it's all the fun, glamour side of it. You know, the getting to go to all the good events, which there's totally that. But the majority of sales is actually the um, the outreach side and the building your pipeline and doing all those presentation type stuff. So do you have a favorite CRM? Uh, I'm partial to Salesforce over. I've worked with Salesforce, Microsoft Dynamics. Salesforce is my favorite. Okay. Uh, I know, I know that, I know that can be a, uh, uh, a love hate relationship sometimes. Yeah, Yeah. no, I, I helped. I've worked on Salesforce more than, probably both of them equally dynamics and core I spent a lot of time with but I I like Salesforce the best okay sales obviously you can travel a bit do you have a favorite traveling tip as we hopefully reemerge in this uh pandemic travel part of the 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 life yeah I hope I really hope we do I mean I love traveling for work I think the, the biggest thing is being able to be really nimble when it comes to you know anything that's happening in an airport delays travel whatever it might be is being you know ready to go and move it move to a different flight, switching over to different airlines, and kind of just dealing with that as much as easily as you can because delays and stuff inevitably happen, and companies understand uh, when you have meetings and you're trying to get to them. But it's 
being as nimble as you can be in the airport is definitely helpful. What's what's the biggest must have before you go to a meeting, um, knowing that you're traveling for it? It's a big meeting. You're you know you're giving the pitch. What's the must have? Um, must have is actually just being really prepared with like as many versions of the presentation in different areas as humanly possible. Because having a printed version, have it on your desktop, have it on a flash drive, like every meeting you go to, something messes up. Like that's a standard demo. Like it it never fails to mess up. So. Being as prepared as possible with multiple different versions always makes things at least a lot easier so you don't have to stress about having your presentation not work when you get there. Your favorite follow-up method? Um, I'm a big fan of um, writing handwritten thank you notes, especially with a good meeting. Um, you know, I think that that's super important. I just don't think it's very many people do it anymore. And that was actually something that Jay Monahan at the PGA Tour always said was one of his big kind of follow-up things. And it stuck with me. And I love doing that. And, you know, sure, you follow up with email or text or anything, but a handwritten note goes a long way. West Coast or East Coast? Which is, um, the, best, which is the best coast? I'm an East Coaster. Uh, <laughs> I love living on the West Coast. I, LA is awesome, but I am a Boston girl through and through, and I love the East Coast. I'm, I'm totally biased. <laughs> I, I, I knew you were going with that one, but it's okay. It's all good. Yeah, sorry. Uh, no hurt feelings. No hurt feelings. Okay, that feels like a pretty great area. I love visiting the West Coast. Living-wise, I'm, I'm an East Coaster. <laughs> all good all good well rachel really appreciate your thoughts perspectives insights on sales um surely a lot we can take from this one and uh, appreciate the time certainly look forward to having you on in the future thank you yeah no with next step I'm, I'm really excited to be able to kind of continue this and, and hopefully build this out even further with you guys Thanks for listening to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by Brain Fuel. Remember, you can get 15% off your next purchase at brainfuel.com, B-R-E-I-N, fuel.com, with the code LIFO15, L-I-F-O-1-5 at checkout. And a reminder to get your copy of LOL, Loss of Logo, What's Your Next Move? Our new book written by Andy Dolich and your host, Jake Hirschman. If you go to mascotbooks.com and enter the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, you'll receive 50% off at your checkout or available on Amazon, ebook, and print.